Welcome back to the On the Blue Couch podcast with Kathleen Brennan. This podcast is about any and all things related to therapy. Hi. This is, this is our real genuine when we started the conversation. I know. It's always the fun. We weren't talking before. No, not at all. It's like when you have a reality show and they knock on the door and that shows it open from the inside. And you're like, no, wait, there's a camera in there. I think they knew that they were coming. Right. I did the same thing earlier with a live podcast thing that I was doing where we, we started it and we're like, hello, hello. Oh, okay. We've been talking for 15 minutes beforehand. So we're Right. That. And during that 15 minutes, we had talked about how we had previously recorded what yeah. we're entitling this episode, which is called It's Been a Year. It's been a year. It's been a year. And we've approached over a year now at the time of this recording around the pandemic. And so really specifically around lockdown and what that has meant and um, mask wearing and all of that. So yeah. anyway, we, I, we go ahead. Like, the, oh, I like the concept of the name is what I was just going to say that you came up with that. And I think you can look at that both ways, right? It's been a year calendar wise. And also it's been a year, like people say, right? <laughs> right. As in both ways. Been a well, year. and the idea that time has definitely become different this year. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but just to give listeners an idea of why we're recording again is, yeah. and we might even take bits from the other one, I think is what we were talking about was we had this really lighthearted, nice conversation about this past year. And what I recognized in sitting down with my colleagues that I meet with monthly is when one of them said something along the lines of like, could we just like take a moment to recognize that we've hit a year and you know, the feels started to come in and I started to really settle into, wow, there's a lot to think about and a lot to feel. And so I felt like, you know, and what it's like for other people out there. So we were lighthearted and I think humor is a great medicine. And I think it shows how it really is a difficult thing to talk about as we're taking a second pass. And obviously when the listeners hear us say that they automatically assume that we're such great podcasters, that must be significant. Um, But no, I I think that it shows that it is a hard thing to talk about. Right. And, and you can steer into both directions. Whereas I think you and I also, you know, therapists do this sometimes where we cope with humor anyway. And we try to reframe and, We've gone through these different filters of like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? And I had a boss once who he used to call it a, uh, a whistling past the graveyard sense of humor, which sounded better than just saying cynical and jaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like that because uh, it, it, it brought out some of the positives of, of noticing some of the things that you can take from something that might be joyful or humorous or something. While at the same time, uh, being like, it's so much has happened that has been so tragic that has been such an impressive uh, thing and continues to be on people's shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, and you can even see it now as we're recording this at the times where supposedly I don't see any, yet, there's mm-hmm. money coming uh, again from the government to, to mm-hmm. help out. And, and you hear people both saying like, here, is it coming? Or I just got it, or it's not enough anyway. And, and just that kind of thing to where it's such a different it's been such a different year. It's such a different way of looking at things to say, how am I going to engage with talking to people about the money that the government just gave to all of us? And it's like mm-hmm. that, that even by itself. Right. And, and all of the need that that implies and the bad experiences that that implies is a total like mind warp. It's totally outside of anything any of us have experienced. Right. Well, just the way that I think 
you know, when I've thought of a pandemic, I didn't, I wasn't aware of all the different areas that it hit and what tools actually we're lucky to have in place that allowed us to continue in some form and what it would have meant to be alive during like the Spanish flu, you know, in the early 1900s. So I did not, I was not aware of how much it hit. And so, you know, economic hardship in the way that we've seen it play out. I had no idea that disease sickness being spread throughout the world would impact it in this particular way. Like I never thought, what, what we're not going to go sit in a restaurant and people then won't have jobs at that time in yeah. restaurants. Or the, even like the movie industry as there's movies coming out now and we're talking about being able to, did you get the shot? Maybe I could go to a movie theater or am I going to buy it on Disney plus, you know, mm-hmm. um, some of that stuff, like you think of that being, you you think of that being something that, oh, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal? Well, that's thousands and millions of jobs and dollars and the way that people engage with entertainment. And, you know, one of the things that hit me as you were talking was uh-huh. toilet paper <laughs> and not wow. literally no one threw it at me. I just, that was one of the first things that caught me off guard was the shelves being empty of really of that specific item. Um, first of all, was surprising to think about. It made sense, but I had never thought about the fact that, oh, toilet paper has gone. Oh. Well, yeah, it makes sense and it doesn't. So, you know, it's kind of what's the logic and how, how did the, the messaging move through, at least, you know, in the yeah. U.S. in the way that it did, that all of a sudden it became, you know, such a hot commodity that then you mm-hmm. felt like you had to go out and... um you know, create more stock in your cupboard or wherever you keep your stuff, you know? It it was an interesting thing that really triggered, and it sounds even silly to say, I think if, but it won't to people that have lived through it, I don't think, um, is that you go in and first of all, you notice things like that started to be hard to get. And it was like, you have to, uh, you can only have a certain limit of how much you're allowed to buy. And there's somebody driving from store to store who happened to have a bunch they're trying to sell in the parking lot and the cops had to tell them to go away. And uh, some of that, and, and I think just that disruption of being able to do a thing that many of us had maybe never thought of before, right? Mm-hmm. Never thought of like, where am I getting a toilet paper? Um, that just is a thing. And this is very first world centric as I'm saying this, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know, that's a disruption in the day to day. And even just seeing you talk about the perceptions, it was very interesting to go into the store. And I remember this experience very clearly of having the fear of, okay, is there going to be enough food? Is am I going to be able to, you know, to find enough food? And you uh-huh. go in and, and those shelves are looking bare, you know, when you go over to where you usually shop. And the thing that hit me at first, at least in our area, was that I went in and the bread was gone. And then I go to the meat and the meat is gone. And then as I really looked, I noticed actually what it was, was the most popular brands of bread were gone. The ones that everybody grabs that they stock the most of, mm-hmm. they were gone. A lot of the other breads were there. A lot of the cuts of meat that were the ones that usually get the big bags of frozen chicken people buy for their whole families were gone. The wings were all there, mm-hmm. but like the tons of those, right? But the ones usually people get for like Sunday dinner or something, those were all gone. And so I started wondering about perceptions of how much is this a problem and how much of this is us making a problem, 
on top of another problem. Right. Well, and I don't know if you recall. So part of this is what was the entry in? Like, what was the lead up? Like what, you know, there's always the question of what were you doing when this bad thing happened? Like oftentimes we can, um, it's almost like a marker of our timeline and understanding of comprehending what all has happened. And so even like, so there's rumblings of stuff and there's a, uh, what's this about a mask? Okay. Where do I get one? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we had seen like the, you know, the world, um, where we were seeing more cases and then it's traveling here. And so anyway, I guess what my point is, is like, there is this kind of entry in, and then there, I felt abrupt too. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Both abrupt and also not having, like, if you ask people, where were you during the challenger explosion? Oh, I was in school and we watched on TV. We didn't know it was going to happen. Um, you know, where were you in the Kennedy assassination? I wasn't Mm -hmm. born yet for me. That's Mm -hmm. an easy answer, I guess. Mm -hmm. I realized as I gave that example, but, um, it's, there's not that for this. And yet at the same time, there very much is kind of like, like like you're describing of this creep of it creeping into everyone's lives and then bleeding out into every little detail and aspect of how it affected everybody. Right. Right. And I mean, there were certain aspects as you're talking where I'm actually recalling and I've recalled before, um, you know, where I was when I found out, for example, the city, you know, I was in um, was going in lockdown. So, I, you know, I was in Chicago mm-hmm. sitting there. I remember where I was seated and but I don't remember. Was it an emergency alert or was it a news article? That's one thing I don't recall. Wow. Yeah. But I know it was a, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Do, do you remember when you found out that that was going to be a thing for a while? I remember, I, I remember that as a series of reports on the news and seeing like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I wouldn't be able to say the exact date, but I remember when I made the call to say everybody that I'm seeing in therapy is going to be online. Mm-hmm. Right that everybody, uh, we're not going to have anybody in the office. And my office then became this place where I would just go in. And once I'd known, and this was back also when we were afraid to touch things. Now we know that, uh, that touch is not the highest risk. In fact, one of the lower risk methods of transfer, I guess, is Mm -hmm. touching a thing. But at that point it was even like gloving up to go into the grocery store or whatever. And, um, but so, so for me, there was this like worry until I knew that no one had been in my office for a full three days other than mm-hmm. me. And even told in the building where I was renting the office, don't have the, I don't, I'll, I'll take care of the garbage. I don't want anyone coming in and, and cleaning the, you know. Um, and so once I'd known that I had this like kind of sense of safety in my office once I was there mm-hmm. and, um, Brought, I remember picking up a couple of like jugs of, of water to have something to drink in the office without going near the drinking fountain. And, and just so I guess I'm, that's what I'm remembering is, is hunkering, that hunkering down feeling of mm-hmm. if I take my shoes off by the door, a whole mm-hmm. rest of the office is, you know, I can feel safe in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a very interesting experience to not feel safe in general, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> that lack of safety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like definitely an evolution. I'm, I'm recalling in my office a meeting with clients where it was the water cooler 
you know, and tea Mm -hmm. isn't going to be a thing. And here's some hand sanitizer. And then, um, here's the area of the sofa, which felt so weird. I felt so terrible to be like, okay, this is the area where, um, so we have a little bit more distance. Um, and then it turned into, yeah, we'll be meeting via zoom and then Mm -hmm. quickly getting the training. Like what is, you know, this is different from Skype or FaceTime and is it HIPAA compliant? And am I supposed to get, I don't know if you ran into this, but are you supposed to get training in how to do teletherapy? You know, therapists are always thinking about the next training and right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And embracing (laughs) it. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that might be (laughs) trying, not trying to avoid it. I certainly would never, never try to avoid a training, but No. no, that's exactly the thought process. Uh, and, and the, the, one of the things in our field, people may not be as aware of this, but in fact, I think I'd mentioned this when we recorded before, I even noticed somebody, uh, they left me a nice review on iTunes about the podcast, but they did mention in their review, Hey, uh, look into something more HIPAA compliant than zoom. Cause they, I had mentioned zoom, right. Cause it was mm-hmm. during the whole time. And I felt like, I don't know, there's no way to contact them, um, unless they're a super <laughs> fan and they'll be listening to this and everything I'm in. Uh-huh. Um, in which case, thanks for the, the five-star review. But um, <laughs> at the time, number I mean, Zoom does have some HIPAA compliant features you can decide to purchase or whatever if you're a medical provider. Mm-hmm. But the point I'm trying to make is people don't think about that, I think, when they have their therapy appointment. And one of the things that was fascinating and shows how unprecedented it was is that at a nationwide level, insurances and ethical committees and licensing and all of these things, they all said, basically they said, let's relax that a little. Let's say, don't worry about HIPAA as much as getting services to people. And so if you have to use a platform that we wouldn't usually say, use that one, use that one for now. Use Mm -hmm. the phone if you have to. Use this if you have to. Relax a little on the billing. Some insurances are like, we don't do telehealth. And the the government's like, yes, you do now. (laughs) (laughs) This this is actually the deal right now. Well, you know what's interesting, Dwight, is that my HIPAA compliant telehealth platform was so inundated or couldn't handle all of a sudden all therapists doing it that there was just no way Mm -hmm. to me. It was too slow and... Yeah. Being dropped. So there was that no, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I noticed that too, using different platforms that some of them just aren't well. And really zoom has been, it's very interesting that I can say zoom to just about anyone and mm-hmm. everyone knows what it is. There's not a generational gap. There's not a, Oh, I like kick instead or whatever. I'm trying to think of a hip young uh, platform. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody knows what it is and knows kind of how to use it almost. Right. And that it's both a noun and a verb and, um, you know, it's real and you know, it's right. And a blessing. Zoom, zoom you. (laughs) Um. That's what, that's what that means when you say that to me all the time. Jeez. Jeez. I I get these messages, these texts that say zoom you. I'm like, all right, are we having a meeting? I didn't know we were. Oh, just cussing me out. I get it. That's it. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's across the generations, people of all ages and are using it in different ways and at work. And I think it really took off with socializing, at least for me, I feel like that's kind of dropped off a little bit as 
it as it's come more I, and i don't know if this is a time to to mention this but one of the things that hits me about that is you have that we kind of have this like very carefree relationship with it now in a way of like oh it's zoom it's just whatever mm-hmm. but you know it brings up something that i think is is on the one hand um people very quickly felt both the relief of being able to see their families at all. Mm-hmm. And then also the depersonalization for some more than others. Cause I think some people are naturally more comfortable with it, but honestly, I would have said, and I would still say that I'm a person who's very comfortable with like zoom and Skype contacts, doing podcasting, you know, you have to, and there's some very good friends I've met through podcasting that this is how we've ever even talked. I mean, you know, you and I have mm-hmm. like never physically been in the same room as each other, you know, yeah. uh, and that's uh, uh, something I would have just said, yeah, that's just as good as any other interaction. But when it's your only interaction, it changes things a little bit when it's your only interaction with anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, but you're also bringing up an interesting point. So I was actually thinking sometimes I think before, you know, we talk like, how long have I known Dwight? And I mean, I mean, I think when this was it like 2010, 2011 or something like that, it's been quite some time. And I didn't know that in the podcast community that people wanted to talk with one another and interview one another. I didn't know how it all worked. And so I just remember you you being very welcoming and, you know, you knew showing me the ropes and that kind of thing. So that was cool. Um, But, but I think you're also, what I'm also thinking about is, and it's about therapy, for example, is do you feel like it's easier, the same, harder to work with clients, new clients, if you've taken on new ones versus ones that you've worked with before? And it's, is it more transferable? I guess is what I'm saying. It's, it's interesting. And like I say, I do connect more often with people kind of historically over video chat. And so there are some people that I have only met with this way now in therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a new one. I had done the odd session here and there through online before this whole pandemic here. I, you know, and mostly probably because I'd done it with podcasting, I was like, yeah, we could do that. Oh, you can. Yeah. I'm going to be, you know, in the city and I can't meet next week, but I really want to talk. Well, do you have a lunch break? We we could just do this. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so I've been, so I, I would say I'm probably one who's fairly comfortable, but at the same time, it is interesting to have therapy um, with somebody when you, they come to the office for the first time. I'm now at a point where I do have people, the, I have the option. People can come in. I've had the shot. A lot of, some people have had the shot themselves. Oh, I've always taken that basic precaution of we walk in with masks, sit down opposite sides of the room, take off the mm-hmm. mask and talk. Um, and I will say like, well, well, first of all, that is um, something that sometimes I don't consciously think, oh, I haven't met this person in IRL. You know, I don't consciously think that just, just like I don't consciously think that with people that I know, you know, through podcasting, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. We live across the world from each other, huh? You know, um, but when they come in for the first time, then it's like this little feeling of like, oh, wait, have we never actually sat in the same room together. Oh, wow. That's kind of weird. You know, it's just kind of a weird feeling. Yeah, it is weird and really, and also cool in the sense of, as you're talking about it, that um, 
I don't know. It feels abundant in some ways. I mean, as far as like the, the possibilities, for example, in podcasting of the people that you meet that you may not have met before, because you're just not going to end up in the same room as them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No. It, and so it, it's opened that door, I think, for more people to have those experiences of, of connecting with different people that maybe some of which they wouldn't. The, the other thing that's interesting um, and, and this reminds me of something I just heard today for the first time, actually. So I'm going to compare this to prison. Why not? You know, as, as we've all been through this year and I say this, I want to be very cautious to say this with a big qualifier uh-huh. that I am not at all saying that most of us have anything that, that we could hold up against someone who's been incarcerated and say, well, I get it. I, right, I couldn't, exactly. I couldn't go to the movies for, for a year, you know, not the same thing, but I think that feeling of being pent up. So I, I was listening to a podcast called ear hustle. It's a, an NPR PRX podcast mm-hmm. where they have uh, the hosts are, I think I, I, I'm not none of the one of them's back or one of them was incarcerated for a long time. The other one uh, wasn't, but knows stuff, I guess. So mm-hmm. they interview people who, and they were talking about the process of visiting rooms and prisons and how um, even though people had gotten out, people who'd been incarcerated for long periods of time, a couple of them mentioned and a couple of their family members mentioned, even though it's so much better to have them here with me, we don't sit and talk for hours as often. And you think about that just in your day-to-day life with, with friends and family, you don't sit and talk for hours because mm-hmm. usually if mm-hmm. we get together, it's, oh, let's go get some dinner. And then when the dinner's over, we're done and I got to get to work and you got to do that. And, uh, but if I drove out here and waited in line for two hours to see you and that's my Saturday afternoon, we're going to sit and talk. Right. Right. And right. we're going to, you know, it's going to get deep and, and all that. And I was thinking about that as applied to this whole thing of like when, you know, my family uh, lives in in the East, in like Washington, D.C., in Baltimore and Pennsylvania. And we've talked more often through the pandemic through Zoom than we probably do on the phone normally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we always had the technology, right? But it's like, OK, we're on here for a half hour. We're going to talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, and how that's, yeah, how that has brought people together and what it means for the rhythm of different families and friendships and friend groups and mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely think it's changed up. Um, maybe there's more intention for some people around, you know, we really need to have our Friday night once a month get together, um, via zoom where it might not happen because it's, you know, not everybody can make it, um, in the same way they can make it online. Do you, do you feel like there's a element for different, do do you think different people feel different values in that proximity face-to-face touch, things like that. I mean, I feel like it's kind of variable but with, with people. Um, some miss it more than others, maybe. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there's a, um, a spectrum is the word I'm, I'm looking for um, around people's experiences with that. And I wonder about, you know, adaptation is, is really strong. So what does it mean over time for how people's values change around um, what becomes more important to them. Like, and is there a denial of what's important to us because we have to survive particular moments of not seeing someone um, in the, in the way that we're used to. And it's good enough in this moment. Well, and that's something that comes up, I think in regards to 
um, both the very young and very old individuals, I think, are affected differently than people who are, I don't know, I'm going to say anywhere from young adults to like middle aged to, I guess, moderately old. I don't know how to put that. But so you take somebody and these are people I've heard say like, you know, old enough to be doing that kind of like sort of scary math that we don't like to do in our head. of Like, mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, how's my health and am I going to be around? And and actually even thinking about my expenses for the rest of my life if I'm retired and on social security and there's that. And I think there's a budgeting of time that many people have in their mind of like, uh. you know, and then you take the very, very young and this intersects. I think when people think about like, you know, you take a, a six month old and an 18 month old, that's a whole different kid. And am I, if I'm, I don't know, I'm just making up numbers, but you know, if I'm 90 and, and I'm not going to see the middle kid between my six month old grandkid and my year and a half toddler grandkid mm-hmm. or one year or two, you know what I mean? I'm doing a year, obviously that's how time works, but yeah, you know, I'm going to miss a lot of that. And, you know, how, what is that risk worth for me to keep my own health and stay away from coronavirus? Everybody wants me to, mm-hmm. and I want to, but on the other hand, you know, I've heard people say like, well, you know, what is one more Christmas worth? right? Mm -hmm. With everyone versus, uh, and so, yeah, just, just very uncomfortable and painful kinds of questions that people were struggling with. uh, And, and many times disagreeing with, with their family. I think that's very hard. I think it is really hard. And I think what you're also talking about is having to evaluate situation by situation. There's a lot of factors that go into play and, you know, I'll just give you an example. Um, This Christmas, you know, we, very carefully planned what that was going to look like in person with some of us. And it came up that somebody, um, I may have been exposed to somebody who had coronavirus and I was, I found this out three days before and we ended up having meeting on zoom and it was the best decision that we could make at the time. But then there was like this guilt and there was this, I'm kind of angry at that person who was exposed, but then I'm exposed. And then, you know, and, um, and this grief sitting there. So I was so thankful to be able to have some sort of communication, but in a way I was like, I'm glad we can be together. We're all healthy. And this is just pathetic and sad. And I kind of want to cry. Exactly. No, that's yeah. the thing is it's like, that's where I say the, the personal contact and depersonalization. And it's funny how fast both edges of that sword cut through with the technology to where it's like, thank goodness for this. This is all we have. And it's like, sometimes like we make fun of that kind of thing with technology and say, wow, we get entitled to free Wi-Fi so quickly that, you know, we're angry that it isn't in the second location that we go to <laughs> after we learned it existed, you know? Um, yeah. And I know we make fun of that, but in this case, I think we're getting really into like our psychological interdependence on each other. And it just hit all of those things in a very understandable way that I would, once again, to your point earlier, I would not have thought about that if you said, what's surviving through a pandemic like? (laughs) It's like, oh, I didn't think about that, you know? Well, yeah, it's not running through streets, you know, trying to avoid animals that have mutated, you know, (laughs) it's like sitting, watching, and I'm recalling this. I mean, I thought Tiger King was going to be the one binge. I don't know if you watched it. I thought it was me like my one Netflix. I I did not. I saw that it was out and everything. And yeah. I recommend it in the beginning. And then I was very careful about that after I watched more of it. And I, 
I love that dynamic, by the way. I've done that where it's like, wow, I saw the premiere of this. You got to check it out. And I watch episode two and go, what did I do? Oh, no. I need yeah. to make some calls. I did, right. We, we need to talk really quickly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you, yeah, you were. Yeah. But, but, you know, but that's the other thing is, um, you know, what kind of started off is this is going to be part of the, oh, this is, this is, this is okay. I'm going to have my snacks <laughs> and hang out a little bit and watch this show. And then the show's over. And then, you know, a couple more months go by. And so what I was actually thinking about is what would have happened had hypothetically somebody said to us, you're going to get your vaccination, your first one on this date. This is what we know. And this is when you're going to feel more open to being out there in the world. Like what would have happened had we all had those knowings like would it have made it more tolerable or would it have been complete panic and freak out that's an interesting question i don't know i yeah i don't know i i tend to think it would probably have been a little bit of both and i I guess it depends on the person but um yeah for me knowing about something is i think it's usually good but something so long term i don't know yeah because that would pale pretty quickly to say uh, when is it going to be next? And I, I won't say, cause I, we still don't know exactly. Right. But May 1st, right. Is, is the big goal now to have most people, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but there's a, there's pretend numbers we can throw out now that feel real. <laughs> right. Well, but yeah. yeah. The, the alert was on this date. We're going, you know, you need to stay inside. We're going to go into e-learning. Right. And we're just going to see what happens and play it by ear. I think I would have had a little bit of a freak out if uh, yeah, it said you're going to be, <laughs> these are the expectations for the year go, you know? Yeah. But Well, it's, it's an interesting point because you could say that we sort of have that uh, it, in a, in a, if we want a laboratory uh, that shows that we might not have done as well, a laboratory that shows that you're correct is what I mean. Mm-hmm. We could actually just look at before the pandemic, how long has it been that we have held on to say, no, you can't work from home. That's crazy. How would we know that you're getting your work done? Now, we have said that up until I'll say the pandemic started, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then all of a sudden, all of these companies, everybody's an at-home worker, and it seems like mostly it's been all right. I mean, there are the industries that have been decimated by the pandemic directly, right? Mm-hmm. But but I don't know, and may, this may exist, but I don't know of any that have been like, boy, we would have been fine if it wasn't for all of our workers going home and not doing their job. I just haven't heard that story. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, my brother has worked from home a lot and he was talking about how it's actually easier to track employees um, when they're at home because you can see what they're doing. Whereas if they're in the office, you only see that they're in the building. Right. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can track some things, but uh, and, and yet we did that overnight. We could have before, but we didn't. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and then again, like what it means to be a therapist and the idea that we always, I thought always had to be in the room and what does it mean now? And what research can we do to see moving forward where this actually might be better for some people who are struggling with certain things. And, um, I was surprised cause I thought no way, you know, I had my mind, I had my mind made up. And so it's also required me to realize yeah, sometimes it's okay to do things differently and it, yeah. it may actually work. Um, it is. It's interesting when it comes out because of a, 
a crisis or a, a forces the issue of things. And, and sometimes that's the way we learn. Uh, they say with the education piece that at home learning is not as effective. And I guess we could say, we know that now I would have to say my experience working with families and young people has been that it actually is more effective for some people. Okay. Um, some, some young people who, you know, I have known for a while who, who would, who did not do well uh, at school usually have thrived during that. So, cause they could control certain things. So would you say that though, there's some noticeability, I guess, is there a certain age where it just, I think of some of the really young ones and, you know, doing story time or play time yeah. over an iPad <laughs> feels so yeah. painful. No, yeah. in fact, I think that just like, there's no absolutes, but I've noticed that the very young one of the the ones that um, I almost said this in the wrong way. I have a lot of teachers in my family, so I had to be careful. Um, no, uh, the ones that require a lot of face to face, hands on, minute by minute teaching. That's what uh, I was going to say. Oh, okay. In, in that way, like like a kindergartner, first grader, second grader, there does come a point where, and and this is what I wanted to be careful of. The mm -hmm. teachers are still just as important and have to be just as well trained, and they are still just as involved, yeah. but they aren't so minute by minute involved. They don't, you know, you take a 16 year old, you don't have to, most of them, hopefully you don't have to sit there right in front of them and, and, and make the rounds around the room to make sure they're not eating each other's shoelaces or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those kids, I think were the ones who I saw that do pretty well, largely. And it, it, it was a kind of, kind of these two extremes. You had some with a lot of social anxieties and certain I guess you could say a certain flavor of ADHD mm -hmm. who really struggled with it um, because uh, of, of not having that classroom time where they were told what to do and when. And mm -hmm. then some who had the same exact issues on the other maybe flavor type that were like totally flourished because it's like, I can decide Wednesday's math day. I'm doing all my math mm -hmm. and my brain works better when I can sit down and do all my math in one day and not have to jump around. And all of a sudden I got A's in math. I didn't know I was good at math, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that happens. Um, so it's been interesting to see who does and does not thrive. I think overall high schoolers miss the social and junior high students overall miss the social more, but it depends on who you are. Right. And I, I think, you know, I think about across the board, but I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, homecoming and prom and graduation and those yeah. celebrations and how celebrations and also times of mourning have so shifted this year. And mm -hmm. um, so just starting with, we've all gone through collective trauma, this collective yeah. crisis, which is it's at a global level and it's traveled and been more intense in some areas at different times. But I think, you know, part of what I was interested in talking with you about today is what has that meant going through that for throughout the year and then some and making sense of that and what it's meant for different people. And I think we kind of hit on that with the education piece. Like some people actually do a little bit better online in some circumstances or part of the day um, where others is just not going to be a good fit and socially you know, what gets lost. Sure. Well, and there's always, this is a whole nother show, but those there's the issue of traumas that didn't happen. How many people have a terribly traumatic high school experience and uh, didn't get bullied and picked on this year? Hmm. We should explore That's that. A good point. Time. But That's a really <laughs> that good point. might be a whole nother yeah. thing to talk about. I want to, now I want to 
figure out how to do that research? How do we capture that data? But, mm-hmm. but as you were talking, you know, one of the things that I, I think is like, how do we frame this going forward? And for me, that makes a big difference. Like I know a lot of young people who responded to say the lack of prom, like, or the lack of high school graduation. I don't get that senior trip or I don't get that, whatever my tradition is. And once again, this is a very USA middle-class centric when I say it that way, but, but whatever the tradition is, you know, for their family, for their social group, Mm -hmm. they didn't get it. It just isn't there. And that's a bit of a trauma in the life, Mm -hmm. especially of a young person. And so just using that as an example, though, I see where some people go, this is unfair. I myself or my child or the kids of my community, this is unfair and we're going to protest and we're going to throw our masks in a big fire and we're going to, you know, make a big fuss about it. Mm -hmm. And then I see other people that have framed it and said, well, you know, they didn't get a prom in World War II, probably one Mm -hmm. of those years, or if they did, it was probably very different or Mm -hmm. they probably did, you know, sold war bonds instead of went on a senior trip or something. That's my historical ignorance, but whatever they did, there was sacrifice. Right. And, and, and did I, do I want to look back and tell my kids and grandkids and such, yeah, this is how we handled it. We did what we had to do. You know, we stayed home and watched Netflix and, and we're, you know, peeled paint off the walls sometimes. And we, we built little, you know, uh, go-kart tracks in our backyard with cardboard or something, mm-hmm. and we made the best of it. Um, and that's a good memory going forward, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the stories of resilience, you know, we talk about, you know, I've seen some quotes about, you know, intergenerational trauma and the trauma that's passed on through the generations, but there's also the resiliency that is passed through the generations and that can also be passed down through story and like, oh, you know, my grandmother who during the Great Depression, you know, sewed her clothing from, you know, materials that she found from her best friend's, you know, yeah. tailor shop, you know, mm-hmm stories like that. And right. you carry those on and they help you get through times, whether or not you're really thinking about them, I think. And I think there's a, yeah, exactly. And there's an opportunity to say, and I, and I say this, I try to be respectful to people's different opinions when I say this, uh-huh. or to people's different experiences. And I certainly don't want to be the cause of anyone to feel shame or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think that there's something to carry forward in feeling like, was I trying to help? Because also there is the collective trauma of the death and the loss. People mm-hmm. who have lost their loved ones, lost their parents, grandparents, spouses, children, lost their health or had their health damaged long-term. And we don't often even talk about that number because we can't, it's not as easy to count that as it is to count who died, right? Mm-hmm. So there's all of that. And I think I would rather look back and say, I tried to be careful not to get other people sick, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some pride that's appropriate to take from that. And I'm certainly, once again, I'm not trying to go after anybody, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's a better memory and legacy to hold on to is saying, I tried to support those who were in danger, even if I was in a group that was more likely to survive. Right. And so it's kind of getting into how did I participate? Yeah. How did I you know, whether there's food shortage, how did I contribute for people who were more affected by a food shortage or something like that? Sure, but, exactly. Right. And I think part of also, I don't know about you, but um, I, it was, it was hard to be a therapist this year and it also wasn't. 
And the reason being, and what, what you're kind of talking about is I felt a sense of like, I was helping or doing something like I could be sitting at home and felt like there was some sort of participation in supporting people's health. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put yes. it in a very oh yeah way, but yeah. Well, and I don't. I think it's important, and you you can almost undersell that the way you say it, which I think we tend to do, right? Uh, and and anything that we are doing to try to help people, just in general. But I think as a therapist, a lot of times. I mean, I, I even did it when I signed up to go get my shot. I told someone, they're like, oh, you get to get your shot. And I'm like, yeah, I'm technically a health professional. <laughs> and it's like, no, I, I am. I should just be like, yeah, no, I am providing a medical service. I'm, pre- I'm here to help people. I've trained for it. I try to do my best with it. I've whatever I've tried to do to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, it's easy to just be like, I hope I did some good. But it's <laughs> like, yeah, I think a tremendously helpful uh, to be able to work and uh, uh, to be able to reach out to people. And I also know a little bit about how you talk about your practice when you and I have talked about things. I know how much uh, it means to you to be available to people. And so definitely you shouldn't undersell yourself on that, you know. Yeah, well, it's also not wanting to be like, and then, you know, because it's it's not that. It's- I carried the weight of the whole pandemic for everyone. No, no, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I know you're not saying that. Right. Well, can you, can you imagine anybody say that? Because I mean, this was a global <laughs> pandemic. Does that work? Um, but and the other thing is, is I, you know, I'm recalling just, you know, the idea of like the vicarious trauma. So we all had different levels of it. How up close were we to it? What did we witness on the news? What did we witness being in a hospital? Why were we at the hospital? Like, how was that? What was our role there? Um frontline worker going in for a procedure versus being there because a loved one is sick, you know? So in vicarious trauma, just for listeners is, you know, the hearing about trauma or witnessing it and the impact and whatever level it is on your being around knowing that to be true and how that changes things. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time that I, I talked to a person and I will say, I'll just say not a client and not someone who I know super well. Let me put it that way. Okay. So um, not disclosing anything of, of anybody who, who worked with me professionally. Uh, it was actually through a, a podcast connection, something that we did online and outside of the recording, finding out that this person had lost a loved one super recently to COVID specifically, mm-hmm. that they had died of COVID. And um, just talking about that. And it brought up, like I had had, I had lost someone a few years ago and there were some similarities that didn't have to do with the disease. And that was that interesting moment where it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this got real, right. And this conversation, this person just is going through this now. And then, but, and then it was, we talked about grief and our respective losses of, of these, these people who'd filled the same role in our lives, you know, and, um, and so it, it was, it was this poignant moment to a relationship that really is like, it wasn't, oh, we're really deeply connected people or whatever. It was just, uh, uh, two people all of a sudden, and we were being real people right in that moment. So there's kind of that tragedy and that poignancy of being able to have a connection. Right. And I think you're also talking about, how, you know, it, within the isolation of everything, how much are people getting to share and where is it getting dropped, you know, whether it be on a zoom call, but, um, I I don't know. I appreciate those moments where people can 
get a little bit real about how things are impacting them. Cause I think it also can get really disorienting when it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm great. Like yeah. things are, things are fine. And that may be true in that moment, but it's not going to be true all the time. There's just no way. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think, and I hope, I hope that we could take it forward. Some of the things that we've talked about here now, um, particularly the one you said a little while ago where it's like, you know, how many of the, the uh, how much of the way things are has to be the way things are. Right. And, and whether it's, we talk about it in things that are like, Oh, I could do a zoom for that. Okay. That could be big or small, you know, mm-hmm. or is it like, Oh, well, during the the time that was created, I responded this way and I kind of liked what I did, huh? Oh, well, I'm busier now. Well, hold on. No, no, I could still do that. Right. Or whatever it is, you know, if someone found that they read more or that they gravitated towards interaction or, you know, if, if I, if my family and I stop having like a regular zoom contact now, that would be kind of a lost opportunity to mm-hmm. say, we didn't have to stop doing that just because now everybody's had their vaccines or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the day is where we all decide it's good. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, what I was also interested in talking about is what, what this means as far as, you know, you're saying moving forward and, some of the, I guess, takeaways, but also that there's going to be healing involved. Um, And I want to speak to this. I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes when you get out of like a a situation that was really stressful, Mm -hmm. like you get sick and then it's, um, you know, things start to fall apart apart more or finally get to shake it off or cry it off. And, um, you know, I kind of feel like there may be some things that look like that for people as we emerge out of this and what has been the damage, what has been, has there been destruction of some sort? That will be very interesting to see. I don't know. I bet that it will be kind of like what we are talking about, how there's things you always remember, there's markers, but with something like this, when it's so variable, everybody's will be different because it's like, is it going to be the first time I go into a movie theater? And it's like, well, I did that two or three times. And then the third one, I started bawling during the previews because it was like I feel normal again because the first two times I had to wear a mask or I don't know what that's just Mm -hmm. the rando thought you know or is it going to be the first time I you know have a family reunion or um and and the thing is I'll bet for some people it'll be things that take them completely by surprise you know what what it's going to be that moment or is there even a moment you know for some of us it might just be like a culmination of oh everything's back now I do you find Um, or do you think that everyone will find that to be positive or do you think that there's a, because change can be overwhelming, even if it's something we've wanted for a long time, I think. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, is that like, for example, showing up to a movie as a person who cannot have not, who has been transformed in some way by knowing that a pandemic is possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's this this evolved self in some way showing up to a movie theater that didn't know that this was possible. So what does that mean? And is there grief involved, right? The younger self and the wiser self. Cause I mean, that's really what I think we're all going to be wiser and not to sugarcoat it, but there's no way we can't, you know, absolutely can't be. Well, it's interesting. You hear people discuss this. I think one of the most, uh, uh, obvious ways people talk about what you're saying is the mask thing. Because I know a lot of people who are saying like, wow, cold and flu season, uh, or when I get a bug, 
you know, why wouldn't I just throw my mask back on? I've got 53 of them in a drawer somewhere, you know? And so, um, you know, and, and some cultures, you, if you travel through large airports, you've experienced seeing people travel, especially from Asian countries who have been doing this for a long time. Oh, if I feel kind of sick, I'm going to put that on. I don't make everybody sick. Um, and is that going to, is that going to infiltrate the American way of actually caring if we get someone else sick? What? Um. <laughs> Personally, I'm, I love the mask. Like yeah. I, I, <laughs> it hasn't felt cumbersome. Like it's felt like this, this just makes sense. And no, I shouldn't say I love it. That's kind of diminishing the full, um, experience of it. Um, no, but it isn't as bad for you. It is for some, some people it is, but no, it, it is. And there's also the, we all have meaning like yeah. around it. So is it suffocating in a way that's actually traumatic is wearing it on one's face, like, you know, triggering in some way. I mean, we all have our different experiences of something. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's different for different people though. I think in some ways uh, people find it a comfort though, too, because it's a thing I can do. Um, someone said this to me just the other day. They said, this is a thing I could do to help other people as well as myself. And um, why would I, you know, I kind of don't want to stop wearing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is, you know, there is that. I know my father has said he, you know, he, this has been one of the first years where he didn't get a nasty cold or flu bug. You know, he didn't get sick at all. Um, and so he's like, I don't want to, why would I, why would I stop wearing this, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, especially in cold and flu season. You know? mm-hmm. yeah well there, i mean there's that too and so and that's something that i've noticed and that's one reason i'm saying i love it so because i haven't been i haven't yeah it's like i haven't gotten a, a cold or anything yeah <laughs> but the but also what what it means not to get that um yeah. you know <laughs> the levels that you have to go into right. to get so cold. <laughs> i'm kind of willing to you know be out for or work through a couple weeks <laughs> and wear a mask so other people don't get it like i'm fine with that but <laughs> Yeah, but what it is, is it? different though. It is, that's a change though, right? To think just like what you're saying, to say um, that that uh, we approach it now with a different perspective. We are people who have survived a thing, and and you know that changes the way you look at things. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think um, as far as what I don't know what we can do as a society or what we can do as people in thinking about like, our frontline workers, um, you know, people who've who actually been out there working, not so isolated, um, are essential workers who've been moving around the world within masks and working really hard actually. And what this has all meant, cause they're taking risk too. I think so. I, you know, for me, um, I'm a big fan of the idea of putting our money where our mouth is, uh, as much as we can. I think supporting, uh, and I know this is not a political show, but supporting endeavors to make sure that healthcare workers, as well as people who we maybe didn't think of as essential frontline workers, like grocers and uh, wait staff at restaurants or people who provided food and delivery people, um, you know, things like that. Do we support policies? Do we frequent businesses that take care of them financially? Or do we vote, you know, to to have them taken care of uh, financially? I mean, I think that's a, for me, that maybe, you know, I don't know if all listeners are how they feel and I'm not trying to get into the nitty gritty politics of it, but just morally, I think that's something we can try to support. Right. So a takeaway from, from this past year. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as, you know, I'm even thinking, 
what does it mean to come out of a collective trauma? What does it mean for the aftermath? And how do we, what's that going to look like? I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing we can have some visions of what that might look like and then how we support the aftermath of this collective trauma. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and it gets, it does touch, I don't know if this is part of what you're thinking, but it, it does touch also into those that have lost, uh, well, there's loss of loved ones and there's grief and the way people are going to engage with the world. And do we support that? Do we become a culture that does more than just give lip service to supporting people when they're depressed or grieving? You know, are we going to be people who say, wow, I'm there for you if you lost your job? Or are we going to say, wow, here's a meal you lost your job. Wow. Here's a, here's what I could actually do to help. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of think this is where I'm actually pro Gen Z. <laughs> I think, I think that I see a lot of young people that are becoming young adults now kind of pulling together, like going in and, and, you know, cost and expense has driven that to where they will try to support each other in a community mm-hmm. way. Sometimes some, not everybody, but you know, I see that a lot with mm-hmm. young people that are like, Oh, my friend lost their job. Do you need a place to stay? you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, collective help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we have an opportunity to say, are we going to in some ways continue that for those that were doing that during the pandemic? Do we want to keep that? We have an opportunity with so much need and so much suffering and trauma and pain. We have an opportunity to say, Oh, are we going to take that serious? Cause, mm-hmm. cause I say that, you know, when I say lip service or whatever, I feel like for a long time, we've known what we're supposed to say to Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like, oh, we have a workplace that supports mental health, you know, Um, but, you know, you haven't been in for a while, so you're fired, you know, and, uh, you know, and I've, I, I worked in a a mental health agency once where somebody who I knew was uh, worried enough about losing their job that they tried to hide their mental health symptoms you know, from our bosses. And this was a, this was a place full of social workers and therapists, you know, and they were worried like, boy, if they know that I am as depressed as I am, they're going to get rid of me because they'll think I can't do my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, you know, it's a problem if it exists in an agency like that. Well, and I don't know about you, but I feel like there's been more discussion about mental health, whether I'm seeing it and maybe it's just the algorithm of my social media, but just, you know, the fact that we need to take care of one another, that, you know, depression and other, other mental health disorders are up and especially anxiety. And, um, I don't know what PTSD is going to look like post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress. And, um, also uh, substance use, substance use, substance abuse, addiction. Um, you know, there was lots of talk even at the beginning, just about, um, relapses and people trying to keep sobriety and uh, maintain withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And then overdoses were up and I don't know what it looks like now, but yeah, that makes sense given what this year has looked like that and that, um, with mental health and with, uh, maintain sobriety or wanting to get help. It's, it's always about turning towards one another. And so we were asked to, turn towards one another perhaps, but from our own little silos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also in the midst of it all, and we're not even talking about this as much today, but 
with uh, uh, race relations and protests and riots and mm -hmm. terrorist attacks and, and all the kinds of things that have also existed during this time. And some theories are that some of the aggression that came out did have to do with the social isolation and the pent up energy, you know, that was there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to say, I, I certainly don't want to come across as saying like, we've learned so many lessons, you know, it's like, well, also we've learned some lessons, you know, too. Yeah, it has been yeah. a year. And I and I looked up, you know, as I like to Google, gosh, I try to go through my history every day about how much I Google and look stuff up. I actually have done that. It's really, I don't know. Oh, no. Don't look at that. You need to stop researching. <laughs> There's certain um, kinds of self-awareness that, you know, I can't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Such a therapist joke. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, the things that have happened this year and some articles are like 52 things that have happened this year. And, you know, there was even stuff happening in our in our solar system and beyond that it occurred that completely got lost in the news, like some celestial body like went missing, you know, and that was, wow. you know, but wasn't wasn't dangerous in any way, but I'm like, yeah. where, I didn't read about that, but they, you know, obviously wanted to add something to their list as well of sure, all the things sure. that happened this year. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. I, you know, I do think to, kind of to your point, it's like, what do we take from it? Part of what I think is between the lines of what we're saying is that just like any change, really nothing goes back to normal. It just keeps changing into something else. And, you know, we move forward with what happened and we accommodate it into our lives and, Hopefully it helps us to be ready so that uh, we can deal with this or something else or just whatever else comes down the road. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it sounded all soapboxy and preachy. I didn't mean it to. <laughs> I don't think it did. I was thinking, go resilience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> right. That if people are listening to it, I mean, it's the whole idea of if you're listening to this now, you, you're getting through it right now in this moment. And so um, if you're listening to this right now, you've gotten through at least a year of this. Yeah. So be very, um, like, take a moment to appreciate that. And so what does that mean for coping moving forward then? Right? Like right. Our bodies, our minds, our souls have learned. I, I, I can get through some really tough times and that gets carried over into other tough times and good times. Yeah. Appreciation, right? Go resilience, go appreciation. That's what we're saying. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was great to talk to you. Yeah, as always. I think it was even better the second time as far as the, the podcast product. I think so too. You know, you know, it was fun, to, but I feel like there was, it got more at really what this year has been. And I don't think we, we can fully understand or make meaning in this episode of all that occurred, but I think it got there a little bit. Yeah, I think we did it. I mean, 80% at least. Yeah, that's pretty high. Yeah, I'll take that. 110% at least. All right. Thank you for joining us today on The Blue Couch. On The Blue Couch is hosted by Kathleen Brennan, a psychotherapist specializing in trauma, anxiety, complex PTSD, and basically any form of loss or other life transitions. You can learn more about Kathleen and her practice at KathleenRBrennan.com. Check out her blog or follow Kathleen R. Brennan on Medium. Music for the podcast is the song Piano Hope by KB. This podcast is edited by Popped Collar Productions, a company specializing in creating innovative solutions through podcasting. Learn more at poppedcollar.net. Please share this show with others and hop onto Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcatcher of choice is and give us a good review. It helps others to find the show. 
We will be back soon to explore new adventures and new innovations in therapy right here on The Blue Couch.